Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Okay, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning, y'all. How y'all how y'all doing? Good morning. And thanks for coming on board and joining us. It is Thursday. Uh it's Tuesday. I wish it was Thursday. Oh my gosh. It's Tuesday, and I still haven't had my tacos yet today. Good morning and welcome to the program. Uh, it is the Tuesday edition of the of the show, and that means that we are going to get into discussions uh, of the deep dive, the weekly top three with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He's going to come in today and talk with us, and uh, we've got some headlines to go over as well. We're going to be talking about a... Uh, a bunch of different stuff, including, of course, the governor's vetoes. Um, we're going to talk about the real mega dividend and the hypocrisy in G- in D.C. as well as in Juneau from a variety of sources. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be fun stuff. So come on board and uh, and and look forward to it today. Brad Keithel is going to do the deep dive with us, and we will talk about all that and more. Uh, in hour two, we'll do a bit of a recap. I'll give you my thoughts on some of the stuff that we talk about with Brad, and then we will be, um, and then we will be uh, all uh, ready to go with Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will be joining us, um, and uh, we're going to talk with him about uh, uh, positivity and our life update and life coaching and. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. You will enjoy it. I guarantee it. Double your money back. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a day. It's already it's Tuesday. Uh, yesterday, ooh, it was like the first nice day of summer for the for majority of the day, and then I come home and uh, <clears throat> it was a little cloudy, but boy, it was muggy. I started to mow the lawn, and uh, I got about halfway through it, and I was like, "Ooh, man, I it's woof." <laughs> so, and then of course it's raining now, so I can't mow the other half of the lawn. Until it dries up a little bit. It's just, you know, hashtag Alaska problems. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the show and thank you for coming on board. Uh, looking forward to uh, the show today and what we're going to be talking about. Other headlines as well. Uh, we're going to go take just a quick peek at some of the vetoes that the governor has gone into. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the Dunleavy administration overall. Um, I have some questions. I I have questions, and I want to see what's uh, what's happening. What's what's happening on this front? Um, if you take a look at it <clears throat> in total, uh, you will see that uh, the I had three different news stories that you know brought out the governor's uh, issues. Um, the uh, the uh, ADN version 
of course, goes right at the fact that the governor is cutting um, into the educational thing, which the ADN has been very vocal about supporting um, all these additional spends in education one time. And in fact, they supported a long term permanent increase into the base student allocation formula. And they were just they were dismayed when the legislature couldn't get the permanent one passed. It was just a one time. And now, of course, um, it is uh, been <clears throat> it has been vetoed. The governor cut about half of the one time funding out of that education. So 175 million has now been cut by 87 million dollars. And that's what the headline reads. He, he vetoes more than 87 million from education funding. Um, the KTUU Alaska's news source has just got the headline reading governor issues vetoes for 2020 fiscal 2024 fiscal year budget, which is a little more middle of the road, although it does lay out some of the changes and some of the different things in it. And then the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, must read Alaska just says governor vetoes 202 million out of the budget keeps overall increase to 1%. So it's kind of, you know, the bad, the middle of the road, and the good kind of thing. Uh, so you got to read all the different. Uh, you got to read all the different stories just to kind of try and figure out to navigate where the median is. Um, but there are some interesting cuts in here, and there are some interesting things that come up uh, specifically into why the governor has done certain things or to what exactly he is doing. Now, first and foremost, I thought it was kind of interesting that the governor announced the vetoes not through a press conference. Uh, and in fact, he hasn't held a press conference for any, he hasn't had a public appearance in a press conference since April. So it's been nearly two months since he's come out and actually talked to the people. And I think if you want to talk about one of the greatest weaknesses that this governor and this administration has had, it is in the lack of communication and the lack of transparency. That's that's really part of the problem that we've got going on here. The governor just does not like to. I just he doesn't, you know, he, he did some for a period of time, for a short period of time there, he was doing uh, like these YouTube press pressers where he would just go on and do like YouTube lives. I mean, not YouTube, Facebook's. He would do like Facebook lives and stuff like that, which I mean, I thought that was a brilliant idea because he would bypass some of the media bias to go straight to the people and just have his say kind of thing. But he hasn't even done that. I get the feeling that the governor just doesn't like to. He just doesn't like to talk to people about what he's doing. Um, he doesn't like the uh, he, he I don't think he likes the press conferences. I don't think he likes the give and take. I <clears throat> I mean, I just I can't figure it out why you would not want to engage the public on what you're doing and why you're doing it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it just kind of shocks me. So anyway, he puts the he puts the vetoes out, not in a not in an interview, not in a press release, not in a, or not in a um, press conference, but he literally just puts a news release out, a press release out and says, here they are. And then um, the governor's uh, spokesperson said that uh, he wasn't available for an interview on Monday. And in fact, he hasn't been available, as I said, um, since April. 
and has um, he's ignored. Apparently, the governor's office has declined or ignored multiple interview requests in recent weeks, including most recently on Wednesday of last week. So, I mean, I mean, I've pretty much given up trying to get the governor on the program to talk about things because it's just too hard. It's too, you know, what I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Uh, this is the same governor, by the way, who said that he would come on the program every six to eight weeks and talk with us about what's going on. Give us some time. But as it has been, the, this is this is a pattern. Can I just can I just point out the pattern here? This is the pattern. The pattern is, is that when they are running for election or they are first up, you know, ready to. Uh, you know, they're on the program and they're excited about, you know, talking to the audience and the listenership and everything else that when it first, when it first gets started, they are all about coming on and saying that they are, you know, ready to come on every month. You know, I say, can you come on every six, eight weeks? You know, they'd be like, oh, we'll be on every three weeks, two weeks. We'll be here every day, whatever you want. And then, you know, of course, they're busy. I don't expect them to be on once a week or hardly maybe even once a month. But, you know, and and I always, when they first start, they come on for the, you know, for at least a full segment, usually for two segments, 40 minutes, you know. And then as the years go on, the frequency of the interviews gets you know, it gets less and less. The The time between it becomes, it's not six weeks, it's eight weeks, it's 12 weeks, it's 15 weeks. It's, you know, now it's only twice a year. And the also the length, it doesn't, that we don't get a full two segments with them where we get a chance to talk to them about questions that we have and everything else. They come on with a very specific agenda. The governor can only be with you for 12 and a half minutes and then he's got to go at six o'clock in the morning. I mean, apparently... It's a long day for the governor, apparently, because 12, I mean, he, they've got him micromanaged down to the to the half half minute mark. And then, you know, the next thing you know, it's you only get to hear from him once a year and it's for six and a half minutes on the topic that they want to talk about. And they never have time to answer questions. This is a trend. And I'm sick of it, quite honestly. I mean, look, I'm not, I have questions of the governor. I have questions that I would like to ask about long-term fiscal policy, about, you know, overall thoughts on the PFD, on different projects, on things like that. And I mean, I have questions of every governor that I've ever had, you know, on the program. I have questions. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I just, I have things that I want to talk about. And the fact that they say, oh, yes, we can do that. And then within a few months, it's like, oh, we don't we're not coming on your show. And and you get ignored. I mean, I started to come at the governor sideways through other people in his office because I feel like I was getting stonewalled by the press secretary. And I got him on the last time because I did that, because I went around somebody else to get to somebody else. But again, the. Where is the, um, where, where, where is the engagement with your base? Where is the engagement with the community? Where is the discussion? And here's the weird thing, and I'm sure Brad's gonna have some questions about this because I know Brad wants to talk about the, wants to talk about the uh, vetoes. But here's what 
is an interesting point. And of course, nobody can get answers on this because he's not taking questions. The governor appeared to target lawmakers individually with vetoes of infrastructure projects in the districts of Republican House members who voted against the budget. So if, if Republicans in the House who stood strong and said, this budget's too high, yada, 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 whatever, we want to hold out for a larger PFD, whatever the reason was for them not voting on the budget, he vetoed, the governor vetoed only projects in the districts of House members who had voted against the final deal, including road improvements and other infrastructure developments in the districts of Reps uh, Ruffridge, Jamie Allard, Ben Carpenter, Julie Colomb, Mike Prax, Dan Sadler, Laddie Shaw, and Sarah Vance. Other capital projects in the districts of Republicans who voted in favor of the deal remain in the budget. So, so now the governor is punishing legislators who voted against the budget because what? I mean, there's no, he offered no rationale, no, no, you know, what, what is going on? I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll find out. I'm not, I'm not convinced, but I mean, I, I just wish the governor would talk to us, talk to people, not just to me, but to, I mean, anybody at this point. All right, we got to go. Brad Keithley's coming up, the weekly top three dead ahead, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right. Uh, I mean, I'm I just don't know what the actual what is going on? What is going on? And we didn't even get into the talk about his new, his new, uh, uh, what was this? Office of Family and Life. This guy, uh, uh, Jeremy Kubis, um, who's an interesting cat, to say the least. But I just get this feeling like, I don't know if Dun- Dunleavy's just checked out or... Is he not really paying attention? Is he just riding the three year, you know, riding the four years out, or what is he? I mean, I have no idea, no idea whatsoever. But it just seems weird. All right, let's uh, let's go over and see what Brad Keithley has to say this morning. I mean, that's some that's some weirdness going on there. Uh, good morning, Brad. How are you? I'm doing great, Michael. Uh, I think weird probably is the word of the day. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't understand. I mean, and Donna Arduin said that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did was that he punished the legislators who voted against this extra supersized large budget. And I'm sorry, I thought you were trying to foster. I mean, is, isn't it you and us against the world? But no, it's what the, what is going on? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the the only logic I can come up for those vetoes is if they voted against the budget, they didn't think they really needed those those items in their district, and so Dunleavy followed through and helped them not get those items in their district. That's that's it. That's that's the only logic I've got for that. Um, 
but it's it is it's weird yeah i mean it, it's it, it's strange behavior i'm going to talk about other things as well but that in particular is strange behavior in terms of uh in terms if you're trying to send signals to the legislature it's a strange signal signal set yeah i mean it's it's basically basically you didn't side with the senate right (laughs) and so and so you're on the outs now right Uh, i mean you we need to live within our means and have a balanced budget but you guys who voted against the big budget that you're you're shame on you i mean what i mean i just but hey don't worry they got their $67,000 per year pay raise or 67% pay raise. So they're okay. They're okay. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I don't know. I just don't know what is going on. I, I, you know, literally 25 years, some of the most bizarre behavior that I've seen out of a governor between that and this thing with Cubis, which we didn't get into. But I mean, if you've been following this at all, you're like, is nobody in the governor's office, even paying attention to what your hires are doing and what they're standing for and, and everything else. I just, I'm, I'm totally shocked. Um, all right. Um, I don't, I, I can't explain it, Michael. I mean, it, it, there's a, there's a statement in his press release that I'll spend a lot of time talking about that. I just, I don't compl- I don't understand what he's doing. I, <laughs> I, I don't understand what signal people are supposed to take out of this budget no um uh, we think i think uh i think i think hawk kind of uh he he kind of puts it up right now for some of us like i wish i'd signed that recall now like maybe we could have had another bite at that apple with some i mean i don't know it's no, that, so would, that would have led to kevin myers as governor. well that's true that's true i mean that would have been but let's not go let's not go down that road I yeah mean, that, that's the, that's the thing with that's the thing with dunleavy that he's that he's really that he's really benefited from, right? He's not Bill Walker. He's not Les Guerra. He's not Kevin Myers. <laughs> so that's his selling point. I'm not <laughs> any of these people. That's my selling point. Vote for me. Okay. <laughs> it could be worse, folks. It could be worse. You could have any of the. That's a campaign so. slogan. That's a campaign <laughs> slogan. Vote Dunleavy. It could be worse. I mean, you know, <laughs> good God almighty. All right. Uh, well, Brad, let's. Um, Let's uh, let's get into this. We're about 30 seconds out right now. Yep, that's it. Uh, so let's uh, get into it. Uh, folks, please like it, share, like it, follow. Do all the youtube things if you haven't. And let's uh, let's get this going on. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget, tomorrow is Wednesday, and we're doing a what-if segment with Dr. Sean Rollin from Jace Medical, who's going to talk to us about emergency medicine and emergency medical preparedness it should be an interesting show meanwhile let's jump into it with brad here we go Okay, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now the weekly top three, kicking things off with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Three big topics that uh, Brad has uh, decided that he'd like to talk about with us today. And I always find it to be an interesting discussion. Not that we always agree, but uh, that we definitely agree that thing, something needs to change, uh, especially <laughs> Brad has no idea why the governor's. I mean, somebody just said, is he a pod person? Did they change him out and swap bodies with somebody else? 
Is it meaner, meaner? Now is the governor of the state behind this fleshy skin suit? I don't know. It's it's bizarre, though. Brad, um, your take on that before we jump. I guess we're going to jump into the, uh, the mega dividend discussion, but, I mean, it's just so weird. You have no idea either. I mean, this just seems bizarre to me. It it is bizarre. I, I'll do that in the second segment. I've got I've got some okay, things to say good. about the about the. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the mega dividend. You said the true mega dividend. What what are we talking about here? There was a statement that Sarah Hannon, Representative Sarah Hannon from Juno, made during the session that has continued to bug me. It was during the budget debate on the House floor. Hannon had introduced an amendment to, if you'll recall. The, the PFD that came out of House Finance was a POMB 5050 PFD. And Hannon introduced an amendment on the House floor to reduce that to, to P, POMB 2575, to essentially to, to cut the, the portion of the POMB draw going to the PFD in half. And during the debate, uh, she closed out the debate uh, by saying this. She said, free rides die hard. And she meant that as a derogatory statement against those toward those who had been defending the bigger PFD, the POMB 5050, during the debate. It was sort of the equivalent of Natasha von Imhoff's, you know, screech, screed that she went off on that you, you know, help helpfully open the show with every every day. Um, but it was it was Hannon's version of. You guys just don't understand. Free, you, you guys have been getting a free ride, and free rides die hard. And I, I get why you're shouting about it, but it's time for them to die. And that's bothered me. And and the, and the reason it's bothered me is there are two free rides going on in permanent fund earnings. One is the PFD that's distributed the, the portion of permanent fund earnings uh, that are distributed out to Alaska families in the form of the PFD. But there's a second free ride. That's that's coming out of permanent fund earnings, and it's the free it's free government, it's the free ride to get government without having to pay for it, without having to pay taxes for it, and and that free ride um, is is equally as free uh, in terms of its impact on on Alaskans. They don't have to pay taxes equally as free um, as the PFD in terms of in terms of free money. I, I've, I've talked about this in various ways over the course of the shows, but I've never really calculated what the value of that free ride, that second free ride is. Um, and so I've, the last couple of weeks in, in my Alaska landmine column, I've spent time going through and looking at what the free ride, what, what the value of that free ride is. And it's amazing. It is just amazing. So what happens is as the PFD shrinks, the amount that's going over to this other free ride, free government, what I call in the landmine columns, the tax avoidance dividend, because you're getting essentially a dividend to avoid taxes. The tax avoidance dividend, as the, as the PFD shrinks, the tax avoidance dividend increases. And what I had never done before was calculate um, the the impact on Alaska families of that tax avoidance dividend. And obviously, as as incomes go up, the value of the tax avoidance dividend goes up. If you're a if you're a low 20% family, low lowest 20% family, you, you're not going to pay much in taxes anyway. So the value of free government, the value of that tax avoidance dividend is relatively low. 
you're a middle income Alaska family, it, it, it has some meaning because you otherwise might pay some taxes if we had taxes to cover the, the cost of government, if you, we didn't have free money for government. Right. But the value of the tax avoidance dividend of the top 20% is huge. Um, and, and it grows and it grows inversely to, P, to, to the PFD. So as the PFD goes down, because more money is going to the tax avoidance dividend, the value of the tax avoidance dividend um, is going up. Rick Halford, in a, in a, in what, what sort of also was sitting in the back of my mind, Rick Halford, in testimony to House Judiciary um, on one of the constitutional amendments for the PFD a couple of years ago, talked about the $100,000 PF, uh, the $100,000 dividend. And what he meant by that was when we repealed the dividend, when the state repealed the dividend, uh, repealed the income tax in the early 1980s, those who otherwise were paying taxes got free government, got, got a, a tax avoidance dividend. And, and Rick talked about the value of that dividend to those who otherwise were paying taxes and, and suddenly didn't have to pay tax anymore because of the influx of oil earnings as being $100,000. So, so that was sort of buzzing around my mind also. So I did these calculations and, and the, the calculations are on or in last week's uh, Alaska landmine column for those that are interested. But at the, even at the statutory PFD, the, the tax, the value of the taxable, the value of Uh, Brad froze up for a the second. remaining portion of permanent fund earning that go to the free money that goes to government that enables you to avoid taxes. Even at even at the statutory PFD, the leftover amount that's going to tax avoidance dividend for the for the top twenty percent overall is worth about ten thousand dollars. For the top five percent, is worth about twenty one thousand dollars, and for the top one percent, this is at the statutory PFD. At the at the at the at the top one percent, it's worth fifty four thousand dollars. They're avoiding fifty four thousand dollars in taxes they otherwise would pay as a as a result of using these the permanent fund earnings to give you to give them free government. At POMV fifty fifty, the the PFD is coming down. So the PFD is now the PFD was at ten thousand dollars under a statutory PFD, averaged over the the twenty four to thirty two time period. Um, at 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 uh, at uh, POMV fifty fifty, the value of the PMD, the value of the PFD is eight thousand dollars per family. For the top twenty percent, it's sixteen thousand. The, the tax avoidance dividend, on the other hand, for the top twenty percent, sixteen thousand. For the top five percent, thirty two thousand. For the top one percent, it's eighty thousand dollars. When you go to POMV twenty five seventy five, the value of the PFD. For Alaska families has now fallen significantly. It's down to three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars for the for the average family. But the tax avoidance dividend, the amount of government, the amount of taxes that the top twenty percent are avoiding uh, as a result of shifting over the the permanent fund earnings to cover the cost of government, is worth twenty four thousand dollars to a top twenty percent family, forty eight thousand dollars to a top. Uh, 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 5% family and $120,000 to a top 1% family. It's a hundred thousand dollars, a plus a hundred thousand plus dollar dividend that free government to the, to the, to the top 1%. Uh, 
And if you go to a leftover PFD, which is, you know, what Natasha has preached, you know, what, whatever the PFD is, whatever's left over after we spend for government, after we've used the rest of the permanent fund earnings to, to avoid taxes, the tax avoidance dividend to spend for government. If you go to the leftover PFD over the next 10 years, the average value of that to the Alaska family, the average value of the PFD is $1,400. The average value of the top 20%, $28,000 of the tax avoidance dividend is $28,000. The average of the uh, to the to the top 5% at the leftover PFD of the tax avoidance dividend is $57,000. And the average value to the top 1% is $144,000. So when, when people talk about the mega PFD, the PFD, I, I mean, or when they talk about mega dividends, the PFD is a piker, is, is, is infinitesimal compared to the dividends that the top 20%, the tax avoidance dividends, the top 20% are getting out of the diversion of permanent fund earnings over to, to cover the cost of government that they would, that they would otherwise have for, right. pay for. The, the, the true mega dividend is over in the tax avoidance dividend. The PFD is just is 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 just small compared to especially at the leftover PFD level. It's just small, infinitesimally small compared to the amount of, of benefit that the top 20 percent is getting. So, I don't, you know, every time from now on that somebody says mega PFD or mega mega dividend, I'm going to haul this chart out and say, yeah, here's where the true mega dividends are. They're going to <laughs> Natasha von Imhoff and to the top 20%. Right. Well, when you look at these numbers again, uh, 100, that means that the top 20% cumulatively is receiving a, a, a mega dividend of over 250000 or $230,000 on this compared to our $1,000 or $1,400 dividend that we're receiving as a family of three, right? I mean, this is this is based on a 2.81% persons per household. So this is a household receipt of $1,400 versus the big money from everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Th those aren't, those aren't additive. So it's the top 20% in blue within the top 20%, I the see. top 5% is in maroon and okay. within the top 5% is the top. So, so the, the, but the top 1%, we, they're getting the benefit of permanent, of using permanent fund earnings to cover their government costs, to cover their share of government costs. These are calculated on a flat tax, by the way. They're, they're, they're getting the benefit of the using the permit, diverting the permanent fund earnings to cover their share of government costs to the tune of $144,000 uh, if we're using a leftover PFD, $120,000 if we're using POMB 2575. That's what's really going on. I mean, if you wanna know what's really going on with the PFD cuts, what's really going on is we're taking money out of the pockets of middle and lower income Alaska families, 80% of Alaska families. We're increasing the pot of money that's being used to cover taxes, to avoid taxes. And the beneficiaries of uh, the, 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 the top 20%, the beneficiaries of that tax avoidance uh, dividend are reaping huge dollars in benefits. The benefit is they don't have to take the money out of their bank account to pay for taxes, right? The government, or the, the, the permanent fund earnings is paying taxes for them. Actually, the bottom 80% are paying taxes for them because we're creating the fund through, through PFD cuts and we're paying, we're covering their taxes for them. So they're getting to keep money that they would otherwise have to pay taxes. Money's coming out of the bottom 80%'s pockets. So the top 20% can keep 
up to $120,000 at POMV 2575 can keep $120,000 in their pockets. It's, it's astounding the size of the benefit that's being transferred. So when Sarah Hannon says free rides die hard, <laughs> the, free ride, the free ride that's really dying hard here is the free ride to the top 20% of the tax avoidance dividend. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. That is a mega dividend, my friend. I don't know how else to put that when you're talking about that kind of avoidance over $100,000 uh, or even half that much. Definitely uh, kind of shocking to look at. Um, all right. Well, uh, final thoughts on this and then give us a tease for number two today. Well, well I, 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 I would encourage people to read the piece in the, in the landmine. I spent a lot of time on it, did a lot of calculations, run, ran it through several economists to make sure I wasn't, you know, going off on a frolic and detour here. And, and it's a, it's a solid piece of work that several people contributed to, 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 to make it, to bring it together. Um, and, and it really is, it's an eye opener about what's really going on. I mean, the PFD is a sideshow. The PFD is a sideshow to what's really going on with these mega dividends. All right. Uh, onto, onto the, onto the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, vetoes. I, the governor said something in his veto message in the in the in the brief paragraph that he put out. He said something that just astounds me, um, and 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 basically it is that um, I'm fine with the with the budget as as I've made these adjustments. I'm fine with the budget. I think that's a horrible message, um, and I'm going to talk about why in the second segment. Okay, all right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets. We continue with him in just a moment. The weekly top three continues. Your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show. Back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. All right. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable but That chart's an eye-opener, man, when you start realizing the avoided costs um, by these, uh, you know, by these folks, the avoided costs of that. Even in the top 50%, it's got to be in the ten dollars to $15,000 range. It's uh, one thing for sure, and I think Kathy kind of nails it here. One thing is definitely for sure, that shows the outrageous cost of our government when you start talking about those kind of numbers. It definitely shows us the real actual cost of what's going on. I, I agree with that, Michael, but here's the, here's the problem that we face. The top 20% don't have to, don't have to pay for government. Because we're using permanent fund earnings to, to cover the, their costs of government, they don't care. They don't, they don't care how high government costs go. The other 80% are paying for it through PFD cuts, but the top 20% are getting their costs covered by their share of the cost covered by the, by the diversion of the permanent fund earnings. And so they don't care. And, and that's, that's, I know I've said this before, and, I, and I'll likely say it 100 times again. But that's the real problem with our fiscal policy. We don't have all Alaska families paying a share of the true cost of government and thus having an incentive to push back on the cost of government. We've allowed the top, we've created a structure 
in which the top 20%, those, the, the, the donor class, those with the most influence, those that run the, the companies, those that send the lobbyists down, we've allowed the top 20% off the hook in terms of paying the cost of government. Yeah, they're outrageous, but they don't, but they don't see them. They don't have to pay for them. No, they don't mind. They get to avoid them. Right. They don't mind because again, not only do they not have to pay for it, it actually helps their donor class because they got a lot of people out there who are crony capitalists who are loving that extra lucre going out there and doing it. It means they get to retain their power, um, which is just shocking. Um, and, and I know you're going to comment on this when the governor comes back on about his absence from the public eye, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't know, Brad. I, you know, this is one of those days where I feel a little... I feel a little frustrated. I feel a little frustrated by where we are in government. I mean, we could see this is we could see that this is a, a hot, hot mess. And those of us who have been advocating for cuts for years are just like nobody's listening. Apparently, we are in the super minority that everybody's just OK with it. Uh, take my dividend and use it to create this free government, uh, this, you know, this this big government teeth that we all get to on. And so, I, I mean, I just. I'm a little frustrated. I'll be honest with you, a little frustrated about what's happening. It is frustrating. And and I'm going to be really interested in Ben Carpenter's reaction to all this. And I'll talk about why in the second segment. But but it's got to be frustrating for legislators who are truly trying to, you know, get the ship turned around, get some, get some incentives uh, to control government costs, get some structure in place that really sets us up for for a, a good future, a good fiscal future in this state. It's got to be really frustrating for them uh, because the governor really didn't give them anything um, in this veto message. Uh, the, the, the cut in education spending, okay, but but he did nothing structurally to to make things easier for Ben Carpenter's committee or for others who are interested in 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 fiscal responsibility right to get their arms to get their arms around the problem so as frustrating as it is to you and me i'm going oh. to be interested to see how frustrating yeah. it is to ben and well and espe others. especially since in his commentary he still calls for this long-term fiscal plan yet at the same time he submarines the people who are fighting hardest for the long-term fiscal plan i mean that just that makes no sense that's like, you know, slapping people around and saying, uh, you know, I really want what you got, but let me give you a smack to the face while you're here because it's not done. And you're, I mean, I, I do not it's, understand. It, it, it's just using words. It's using buzzwords, right? Yeah. I think we're supposed to have a responsible fiscal plan. Well, let me, let me put that in my, let me put that in my, in my announcement here. I'm not sure what it means. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not helping. I'm not trying to guide us toward it. Yeah. You know, I just sort of sit back and wait for the legislature to do it. And then I just sort of react. But but here, th those are those are important words. Those are buzzwords. Let, right. me, let me stick them in there. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means uh, kind of thing. Right. I mean, that's that's where we're at. Um, just it's just astonishing. And the problem is, of course, the, the more this kind of stuff happens and the higher these things go, the the entrepreneurs, the free market people are the ones that are eventually going to start, you know, leaving the state in droves. The, the people, the people who are, you know, corporate cronyists, they're going to they're going to lap it up like mother's milk. And the rest of the entrepreneurs are going to go, mm, nope, bye. <laughs> and they're going to leave because they just can't compete. I mean, it's great that we don't have any taxes, but at the same time, it's going to be painful quickly.
Well, the, the people who are going to stay are the people who can who who can figure out how to finagle getting government money uh, to support yeah. their business. That's that's the kind of people <clears throat> we're going to have left. Yeah, we're creating a culture of cronyism, and it's just going to continue uh, as we move forward. Brad Keithley, our guest, uh, the Michael Duke Show, Covet uh, Sense, Liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Here, here we go. Let's get it done right now. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep. Welcome back to the Michael Duke Show. The weekly top three. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budget. You can find him at ak4sb.com. Or on Twitter, or in his weekly column in the Landmine, or wherever you want to look for him. Uh, we're on the weekly top three. Number two is is the governor's vetoes. Um, and boy, I've got questions. Let's just put it that way. I've got questions. But Brad has got he got a little fixated here on one of the comments that the governor's made. So Brad, uh, take <laughs> take her away, man. You are you are good to go here. Here, here's the sentence that I just I just stopped at, and I keep going back and reading and trying to understand, trying trying to put a spin on it that makes sense makes sense to me. The sentence it's in the third paragraph of what a four paragraph release by the governor um, uh, about the budget vetoes. The third paragraph begins this way: This budget, this budget, the budget he's just signed. This budget is a responsible path for Alaska's financial future. This budget is a responsible path for Alaska's financial future. This budget has a POMV 2575 dividend. Doesn't have anything approaching a statutory dividend. Doesn't even have anything approaching a POMV 5050 dividend. It has a POMV 2575 dividend. This budget has the second highest operating expenditure for operating uh, 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 expenditures, agency budget, um, agency budget, second highest this decade. You have to go back to Sean Parnell's last budget in 2013 to find a slightly higher one. This is up $400 million from the, the pre-oil boom, the pre-oil rush that we had the last couple of years. It's up $400 million, up 10%. The agency operations budget is up 10% from, from what we had in FY21 before we had those two years that were affected, affected by oil. This, this budget has no other revenues in it than PFD cuts. And yet, this governor says, this budget is a responsible path for Alaska's financial future. I, I'd be fine if he would have said, this budget's the best we can get with this with this legislature. Right. This budget's the best we can get, you know, this time around. We're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to make it better. We're going to need to get the PFD up. We're going to need to talk about alternative substitute revenues. We're going to need to talk about additional cuts because this one increases operate the, the agency budget by 10%. We're going to have to, but he doesn't say any of that. Right. It's an implicit. It's an implicit endorsement of the twenty five seventy five model. Well, it's an implicit endorsement of jumping operating, of jumping the operating budget by ten percent over three years. I, I, I get all that stuff. 
I get all that stuff they got in there about, oh, it's lower than inflation. Well, it's lower than inflation because you cut the capital budget and you cut statewide spending. Statewide spending's down because we're not having to re we're not we're not having to reimburse oil tax credits any longer to the same extent. You it's 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 down on it's down on 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 inflation because of those. But in terms of the of the agency budget, it's up by ten percent from FY from FY twenty one. I for someone to say this budget is a responsible path for Alaska's financial future, I don't know what he's. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get what he's. I don't. I, I don't get what he's saying. Anyway, two uh, two other things about it. One, there's no discussion of the PFD. There's no discussion of sales taxes. Remember, the governor came out with this press conference, right. last press conference he had. Right. Said we're going to talk about sales taxes because we need alternative revenues. No discussion of sales taxes, and not only no discussion of a special session. Although, although Rob Myers would probably <laughs> say a special session sort of worthless. Right. Not only no discussion of a special session, he vetoed. One of the vetoes is the money that got put in to cover the cost of the special session. And the explanation of the veto is unnecessary. <laughs> wow. So, so what, what, you know, what messages is he sending out there? He's saying, I think this is a responsible path for Alaska's financial future at a POMB 2575 and a 10% jump in the in the agency budget. I think it's fine not to talk about the PFD. I think it's fine not to talk about sales taxes. And I think it's fine just forget about the, the special session. I, I, Bill Walker couldn't have done as bad as 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 what's going on here with that sentence and and these and these non sentences, nothing about the PFD, nothing about sales taxes, nothing about the special session. I mean, we're sort of left, we're sort of left in the same place that Bill Walker left us, which is PFD cuts, bam, legislature did them, bam. Hey, you guys who voted against the budget, yeah, I'm well, going to punish you. Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, I mean, even the ADN was kind of scratching their head like, wait, he, he vetoed all the road projects for the people who voted against the budget who are his supposed allies in this fight for a 50-50 PFD, et cetera, and no commentary on why that happened. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, Michael. It's just uh, the, 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 you know, we're at a 5.1, this leaves us at a $5.1 billion budget. The, um, the, the, the FY21 budget was 4.6 billion total. This is this is agency statewide and capital. The FY uh, 21 budget before the two years that got hit by oil was 4.6. The one with, between before that was 4.8. Uh, the last one in the Walker administration was 4.8. This one's 5.1. It only looks good by comparison to where the legislature left it. Right, the legislature left the budget at 5.3 UGF, a agency plus statewide plus capital. Dunleavy cuts 200 million from that, 5.1, declares victory, but that victory is much higher uh, than than where the the budget was uh, before we hit the before we hit the oil rush. So, I is sending all sorts of, of wrong messages. Hopefully, the governor corrects some of those or right. elaborates on some of those, and sort of you know redirects. But it's not. 
you know, to say this is a responsible path for Alaska's financial future is is a statement that Bill Walker would agree with. I mean, this is a budget. This is a budget that Bill Walker. It reminds me of the classic tactic of look at me. I've cut the budget. No, what you've done is you've cut the increase to the budget. You haven't really cut the budget. You've cut the increase. The where we end up at the end is further is larger than what we had to begin with. That's not a cut. You know. Oh, they wanted to increase at 50%. You cut 25%. We're still at a 25% increase. I mean, that's, but this is a classic tactic. Look at what I did. Here's where we are. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And he's got, and he's, he's getting pushback, obviously, about the, 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 the cut to the, to the, to the, to education spending. And he's going to say, and he's going to say, look, I'm a conservative. I cut, I cut education spending, the increase in education spending in half. Well, yeah. But look at the rest of what you did and look at what you just said about what you did, about what you left behind. And it's a mess. Yeah. So I, I, um, we got a long way to go. I yeah. mean, and, and, and we got a long way to go without, without a roadmap on where we're going, uh, in terms of getting, in terms of getting things, uh, getting things fixed going forward. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. Brad, on to number three, which is the hypocrisy. Uh, been a lot of discussion about on the national level, the hypocrisy of the Republicans. Uh, we're for smaller, more limited government, but look at all the lucre that we can fling around here at the national level. Uh, and you said, well, true, but look at what's going on in the Alaska legislature as well. Hit us with it. Well, there's two there's two op-eds that, that that grabbed my attention. One was in the ADN uh, by Don Mitchell, and the title of it is Sullivan's Senator Dan Sullivan's hypocrisy on U.S. spending. And basically, what he's saying is, you know, Sullivan says we got to cut spending, we got to cut spending, we got to cut spending, but then he's one of the biggest proponents of increasing de defense spending, which means the spending you got to cut is like Medicaid, Medicare, and and social security and, and, you know, other things that, that help out people. So it, uh, uh, Mitchell's pointing out, uh, Solomon's hypocrisy. There's another one in the Juno empire that has basically the same, uh, headline Sullivan's complaints about debt ceiling deal reveal hypocrisy about government spending. All that's true. Dan Sullivan is being hypocritical about, about government spending. He is talking out of both sides of his mouth about, about federal spending, but here's the deal. The Democrats in Alaska are doing exactly the same thing. The Democrats are in Alaska are saying, look, I'm for the working Alaska family. I came down here to protect working Alaska families. I'm, I'm here to make sure that working Alaska families are prioritized and that we look out for them because the top 20% can look out for themselves, basically, is what the message is. Yet, the Democrats, the House minority, was the balance of power that resulted, that, that voted with the with the top 20% Senate that resulted in a POMB 2575, took money out of the pockets of working Alaska families so that the top 20% could have more and more money to protect them from paying taxes. They could have higher and higher tax avoidance dividends. The hypocrisy that we're seeing at the federal level is true and we need to call it out. And I don't disagree at all with either one of these either one of these op-eds about, about the position that Sullivan's been taking. But the exactly the same thing with the same effect, with the same level is going on at the state level. And if we're gonna call out Republicans at the federal level for engaging in this sort of hypocrisy, we need to be calling out Democrats, particularly the House minority 
in Alaska for the same sort of hypocrisy. You're not protecting working Alaska families. You're protecting the top 20% from having to pay for government. All you're doing is protecting government spending by making sure the top 20% don't have any stake in the game. They don't have to pay for it, so they don't care. And that's, that's, a, that's a hypocrisy at the state level that, that is equally as bad as the hypocrisy that we've got going on. If you really cared about Alaskan families, you'd fight for that full statutory PFD. That's what yep. you'd fight for. But Brad Keithley, yep. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're out of time. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board. Appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Uh, folks, we're out of time. Hour two, dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. I mean, Brad, that's really the bottom line. If you cared about Alaskan families, if, if you had a wit of economic know-how in your brain at all, you would know that that money would do more for Alaskan families in the short term and in the long term. It would do more for the Alaska economy, which was a rising tide floats all boats. The economy would go up by putting that money back into the economy instead of retaining it for government just on the bare idea that the money turns so many more times in private hands than it does in public hands, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what astonishes me. These Democrats keep going back again and again and again, and they're not fighting for a full PFD. They're not fighting for those people. They're not really looking out for the people. They're looking out for the public spend because that's where their money comes in. That's where their support comes from is the employees, state employees unions and all these special interest groups that all want the government lucre. So whatever it takes to make sure that that bill gets paid, that's what they're about. Exactly. And, and, and it's, it's a little bit more than that, Michael, I think, especially with Zach Fields. I mean, I spent a lot of time watching what Zach Fields writes and what he says. With, with Zach, it's more than that. What Zach's really doing is he's saying, I want to spend a lot of money on my constituency, my union constituency. I want a lot of government employees. I want a lot of government, I want a lot of government spending. But I don't want anybody to complain. About, I don't want anybody that gives me money or supports me to complain about it. So what I'm going to do is take the money out of middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts. And heck, you know, maybe some of them will agree to that. Maybe they'll think it's free money. So yeah, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they think it's okay to cut it. And I'm going to make sure it's a top 20%, my top 20% donors and my top 20% union members who otherwise might object don't have to pay for it. That, that we can take it all out of middle and lower income Alaska families. So it's more than simply not looking out for middle and lower income Alaska families. It is, it is affirmatively going after middle and lower income Alaska families by using the fiscal method that takes money out of their pocket and protects the top 20% donors and the top 20% union members. And <clears throat> this, of course, is a continuous problem. This is, I mean, we can go look back and see for 30 years, 40 years, this has been what's going on. And I, this is exactly the same thing that I've been decrying for the last almost 10 years. You've been decrying with me on the show. Uh, and we've moved off of the cuts-only approach to at least offering other alternatives. And yet the answer is continuously to pull the one lever that that impacts and hurts the Alaskan families and the Alaskan economies more than anything else. And, and you don't have to be an economic genius to figure that out. All you have to do is read the, the 2016 ICER study that tells you exactly that. It's it's not it, it, they can't even complain that oh I don't know I don't you know maybe some people say that no there's a study that tells you exactly what the impacts are the economic impacts are of the course you're on and that study says that cutting the PFD of all the options all the revenue options cutting the PFD has the largest adverse impact 
on the overall Alaska economy and the largest adverse impact on 80% of Alaska families. Period. It says it right there, black right, and white. Right. All you have to do is read it. And so for for them to for, for for them to say, oh well, you know, we're really looking out for no, you're, we're really looking out for for you know families in need. No, you're not. You're looking out. You're looking out for your constituencies, and you're looking out for people that are segments that 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 got you elected or are important to you. But you're not looking out for middle and lower income Alaska families, even if even if you accept for a moment that you're looking out for those in need in the in the bottom twenty percent. That all of the social programs are needed to help those in the bottom 20%, you're still leaving high and dry the 60% in the middle who pay more through PFD cuts and suffer more through PFD cuts than they would through through alternative revenue measures. So it's, uh, it, it, is, it, it is hypocrisy and it's, it's, it's a little bit worse than that with some of them. It's an affirmative, um, um, uh, whatever the word is, it, it's a, an affirmative attack on middle and middle and lower income Alaska families by taking money out of their pockets so the top 20% don't have to pay, so they won't have pushback from the top 20% from the donor class from their donors uh, as they as they you know continue to shuffle money around to support government. All while patting themselves on the back and telling everybody what a good job they're doing uh, <laughs> at the same time. And giving themselves a 67% pay raise. Let's not forget that. I mean... You know what that does? That moves every, all of them, all the legislators, into the top 20%. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Um, well, I mean... Uh, like I said, Brad, I just, I don't even know, I don't even know what to make of it anymore just to watch this kind of thing go along. I had hopes that the governor would make some meaningful cuts. He did make some cuts, but at the same time, implicitly endorsing the 2575 rule and not even talking about the dividend and then cutting the projects in the districts of the people who voted against the budget. I... Uh, and then and then cutting the budget for the special session. <laughs> yeah, and then cutting the budget out for the special session. I don't even know. I mean, what do you say to that? And then won't come on and discuss or talk about or give reasoning behind what he's doing or why. It's it's astonishing. Well, my, my conclusion is it's a budget that Bill Walker would be proud of. And Mike, Mike Dunleavy just said it's a responsible path for Alaska's financial future. Yeah. I wish I had a V8. What? Uh, <laughs> weird. Uh, final thoughts here, Brad, as we wrap things up. Well, we'll see this coming week. Uh, what the reaction to this is? There's going to be a lot of pushback from those who are upset about the about the cut in education spending. Uh, uh, we'll see what the reaction. I'm going to be looking for the reaction by the Rob Myers, by the Ben Carpenters, the, those who have been working toward trying to get a fiscal fix. Maybe they see something in this veto message. That I'm not. Maybe they see a path forward in how Humpty Dumpty gets put back together again. But it's certainly not clear to me uh, uh, what the path forward is. So I'm going to be very interested in what their in what their reactions are. All right. Well, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board. As always, good to talk Michael, with you. As always, thank, thanks for having. As frustrating as usual. Thank you. That's you know, man, it's crazy stuff. All right, my friend, enjoy your day, and we will talk to you again next week. Um, all right, folks, that's it. Uh, we got more coming up. Hour two is dead ahead. I'm going to have some commentary and discussion. We will continue right here. Whoa, buddy. 
put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream, which is up and running, to the uh, podcast, which is available on CastBox, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, and, of course, Spotify. And finally, links to our social media sites, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, where we simulcast the show every day. Out on the internet via video, if you want to see all the hairy face stuff going on this morning. Uh, And, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Welcome back to the program. Hour two of the Tuesday show continues. We just finished up with Brad uh, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And I am more confused than I was when I started this morning. Uh, All this other kind of stuff. It is... uh, It is just astonishing what's going on in this state. And uh, something that I happen to agree with, it seems like uh, right now, um, which is surprising because normally I don't agree with one of my listeners, Harold here. He says the Alaska electorate is a government dependent segment with no desire to rock the boat of special interest because much of the spending goes into their pocket. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line between the apathy or frustration The apathy or frustration of the electric, where some people have just said they've thrown their hands up and they've walked away because it's a hot mess and they just don't feel like they can make a difference. Um, Or because there are people out there who are in some way, shape or form now dependent on the government largesse and the government spending. Um, There's a whole crew of people out there who basically don't want to rock the boat. Uh, and those of us who are in the please cut the size and scope of government camp are fewer and fewer in number as more of our companions and, and compadres just wander off because they can't, uh, they can't see, they can't see a solution. They grew weary in well-doing. They are frustrated and they can't fix it and they don't know what to do. So they just throw their hands up in the air and they wander off. And I don't know, quite honestly, how to fix that. I mean, I continue to talk about it. We continue to fight over it. We continue to have these discussions. But quite honestly, I'm not sure as to what the solution. I know you call into, you listen to this program, I'm sure, for all the solutions that are, I'm going to have some kind of quick fix for what. No, I have no idea how to fix this. 20 plus years talking about these issues and I, I just don't have an answer because, again, I've been crying from the rooftops about, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And here it is, rocks dropping from the sky, smashing us to bits. And people are still like, well, I don't know what we should do here. I just, we're just going to go along to get along. 
And those of us who have been fighting it are getting fewer and fewer in number because, I mean, there is nothing more ultimately frustrating than banging your head against the wall uh, until you're unconscious and then wake up and starting all over again. And that's what it feels like. That's what this feels like right now, is that we just continue to smash our head against the wall and there is no solution that's going to come to us. Well, you know, some of them are people, some people are like, well, I might as well get mine while the getting's good. And that seems to be the reaction to what's going on right now. But again, I want to go back to the one thing <clears throat> on the governor's veto that still has me scratching. I mean, I'm, I'm with Brad when he said this is a sustainable, but I mean, that this just, it was just a ridiculous statement. This is, it's a ridiculous statement and, um, <laughs> That that it just I I just don't even know, um, I I just don't even know how he can look himself in the mirror and understand that this is okay. But what still gets me, and when I read this, and then I look went back and looked at the overall cuts to the projects and the capital budgets and everything else, I just I was shocked, shocked that this is what was going on. The ADN reports it this way. The governor, and here's the interesting thing, must read really doesn't have a comment on this. They they didn't really, she highlights some of the pluses, but she doesn't talk about this specific uh, issue, which I think should be a huge red flag for Alaskans, specifically those that want a smaller, more limited government and smaller budget in the state overall. And yet she makes no no reference to it at all. The ADN does, and the KTUU doesn't as well. So the ADN is the only kudos to them for mentioning this. But even they, it seems like if you read between the lines, there's a little bit of head scratching here going on. Like, why? This says the governor appeared to target lawmakers in the vetoes. The government appeared to target law, lawmakers individually with vetoes of infrastructure projects in the districts of Republican House members who voted against the budget. Dunleavy vetoed more than $5 million out of a $34 million capital project package added to the budget by the Senate during the final days of budget negotiations. The package had been added to the budget in an effort to woo Republican holdouts to vote for the deal, and it succeeded. Some Republican House members openly said at the time, including Justin Ruffridge from down on the peninsula, said at the time that their colleagues had been bought with individual priority projects of up to $5 million each. This was part of our heartache with Representative Kevin McCabe, who voted for the budget after being vehemently against it after some projects were placed in the district. The governor vetoed only projects in the districts of House members who voted against that final deal, including road improvements and other infrastructure developments in the districts of Republican Representatives Justin Ruffridge, Jamie Allard, Ben Carpenter, Julie Colomb, Mike Prax, Dan Sadler, Laddie Shaw, and Sarah Vance. What? Now, Here's what really gets me. If you break it down, the, if you break it down, the peninsula got the sticky shaft on this. The peninsula got just 
daubered down in the dirt. Ruffridge, Carpenter, and Vance all had road projects shot down and infrastructure projects shot down out of the Capitol project. What? I mean, other Capitol projects in the districts of Republicans who voted in favor of the deal, including Kevin McCabe, did he know something that we didn't know? Did he know something? Did he was he was he told by the governor that if you vote against it, I'm going to kill your projects? I don't know. But why? Spokespeople for the governor did not immediately respond when asked about the governor's reasoning for those votes. If you were looking for a smaller, more limited government, which is what he ran on as a platform, why would you not support or, I mean, I would not, when I first read, I had to reread this paragraph a couple times to, to kind of go through it and go, wait a second. Because I thought for sure maybe he was going to vote against the projects for House Republicans who voted for the project or voted for the uh, the budget. That would have made more sense as kind of a protest for why didn't you hold out for more? But instead, he's penalizing the representatives from the area, penalizing representatives who said no to this budget, who said it doesn't make any sense. Why? Why, why would you do that? And why would you do it without giving any reasoning whatsoever? I mean, that's your prerogative, I guess, as the governor. You don't have to say why you're vetoing it. But why would you punish legislators who are trying to reduce the overall size and scope of government? Now, it's $5 million, which to you and me is lifetime money. But as far as the state government goes, that's a drop in the bucket. I mean, that's less than 1% of the overall budget. So, I mean, in the scheme of things, five million is not much, but these people, but this is like, this is one of those constitutionally mandated things, right? Infrastructure, public safety, education. Those are like the big three things that the Constitution calls for. And this is something that this is not, you know, testing the life cycle of the tsetse fly or the mating habits of some kind of green bellied frog. This is roads and infrastructure and it's capital. Why would you cut these out? Now, we're going to try and talk to some of the legislators who are affected by this and see what they have to say. But did did somebody leave a stinking flaming poo bag on the governor's doorstep and he thought it was the House Republicans? I mean, is that was that what's going on here? I mean, this is insane. And, of course, the governor did not veto the permanent fund. There was some uh, there was some speculation that maybe he would do that and force them to go back to the drawing board on the permanent fund. But he didn't. The dividend amount, the 25-75 formula, where 75% goes to government, his basically his tacit acceptance of that formula 
means that he probably will not be going back to that 50-50 calculation that we've seen in the past because he called this a good budget. He called this a budget that um, was fiscally responsible. Again, what the actual hell is going on down in Juneau? And then, of course, to go back to my previous commentary on this, why won't the governor come out and talk to people about this? Why? I mean, it has been two months since the governor has had a public news conference. He didn't even he didn't even give a speech or have a press conference about this. He released the vetoes in a freaking press release. What is going on? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll see if we can get some folks on to talk about this this week or first part of next week. We'll continue our discussions. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. We're going to get the, uh, we're going to get, uh, Chris story up on the thing here. We're going to get things ready to go. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand it. My friends, I wish I had an answer other than I guess bought and paid for. I mean, I guess that's the, that's the answer we're, we're looking for is bought and bought and paid for uh i mean i can't think of any other any other any other topic any other explanation for at this point i mean i don't uh i'm just not i'm just not sure what's going on all right let's get chris story on the line here see if we can get this hey look at that phone worked the first time okay speaking of bought and paid for bought and paid for man well, my Good friend, morning. how are you this morning? Excellent. You know, why would I complain to you? Well, that's true. I mean, it doesn't do any good anyway, right? I mean, why would you complain to me? Um, I'm a little flummoxed this morning. I'll be honest with you. I'm just a little, I mean, I don't know. How, how do I deal with my, how do I deal with my brokenheartedness, Chris? That's, uh, that's my question for you today. How do I deal with this idea that somehow the governor is going to punish. I mean, how do you feel as a peninsula resident to have your legislator fight for a smaller, more limited government and then have the governor come in and cut all the road projects out of your area? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a big, uh, yeah, this is the first time hearing of it on your show today. As usual, you're breaking ground, pun intended. Breaking so, bad. I'm breaking I think, bad. Yeah. I, I think maybe what, what, here's what I'd like to talk to you about today is values versus goals. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an answer in there. Coincidentally, maybe we are aligned in, um, 
my topic and your frustration this morning. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. We could do that. All right. Okay, we'll hold the line uh, here uh, for just a second. Chris Story, our guest, got him on the program. We're ready to go. We're about two minutes out here before we rejoin with him. Values versus goals. We're gonna uh, we're gonna go through this. Okay, I'm gonna go back up here and read some of the comments uh, as to what's going on. Uh, Robbie says, "I'm dependent on government largesse. Doesn't stop me from calling out criminals and liars." Um, Harold says that Dunleavy is eventually going to be the oil industry's government liaison. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, again, twice in one day, we agree. Uh, Suzanne Donning has always been biased for the governor, says Hawk, uh, says Jeremy. Um, yeah, I mean, I just her her piece on the governor's vetoes is very rosy, which is what I would expect out of a Republican based mouthpiece. Um, but, you know, again, no, no. I mean, you would think that as a Republican as a Republican outlet that she would be in favor of the smaller, more limited government people like Carpenter and Vance and et cetera, et cetera. And yet at the same time, not a word of it, not a word of it. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeannie says that it's because Dunleavy hates Machiki. Do you really think it's, I mean, do you really think it's that cut and dried? Um, I, I don't know is that, um, Brian says, my guess is that Dunleavy's selling point for the next gig is going to be smooth and orderly government with lots of cooperation. The veto of the budget goes against that narrative. Yeah, you know, of course. Uh, Sandy says she thinks that Kevin McCabe knew uh, what was going on. Um, uh, and then Donna says Div Dunleavy is going to preside over the death of the dividend. Oof, that's a heavy statement right there. Heavy, heavy statement. Um, I'm going through here. There's a lot of stuff. I don't think I'm going to get through this whole thing. Um, he bought and paid for by globalist scum. Uh, that or he sold out to dark money to win the last election. I don't know. It's this whole thing is just a mess. All right. Well, let's get onto this with Chris Story. Values versus goals is going to be our topic. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's uh, let's do this thing. Here we go. Chris Story, the obnoxiously positive and sometimes hilarious man from Homer, joins us every week to talk about pottery, positivity, and how not to become a nihilist. We're looking at you, Eric. It's the Michael Duke Show. That's right. How not to become a nihilist. We're working on that. I'm, especially after today. That's what Chris Story does. He brings us a little bit of positivity every week, and uh, today is no different. He joins us today where his topic is going to include the difference between um, goals and values, or values and goals, whichever way he prefers to put it in that order. Good morning, Mr. Story, sir. How are you? Good morning, Michael. On top of the world, a little cloudy here on top of the world. Can't see the bay today, but um, well, neither can you from where you are, so I we're even. I know. I can't see the bay either. I'm having a hard time seeing outside my window with the drapes closed. It's okay. We could deal with it. Um, all right. What? Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the difference between values and goals and how. What's the? show me the Venn diagram of what how that works. Well, just thinking a lot about 
goals for the year as we're about half about to reach the halfway mark for the year. And it's a good time to, to assess your goals, reflect on where you've been already this year and where you want to go. And along with that, of course, is who you want to become in the process of achieving goals or accomplishing things through your through your life. I mean, the year is almost half over. So when you think about goal setting, I think it's important to think about goals versus values or values versus goals. And the reason I put them opposing is sometimes they are. And, you know, before you spend too much time on a goal, I think it's important to work out your values first. So if you set goals for the, the beginning of the year uh, and, and you're not quite where you wanted to be, or maybe you surpassed your goals and you're reassessing it and you're going to, you're going to reach even farther before the end of the year. Are you sure that your values align up with your goals? So if you set your values first, then you're going to be ensuring that where you end up by the end of the year is where you wanted to be and who you wanted to become. Because virtues, uh, for example, you probably don't need to reset your virtues each year. You know what your values are with respect to that. But what do you value and are your goals aligning with it? For example, if you value freedom of your time, freedom of your day, you want to make sure that your values aren't in conflict with your goals. So, for example, if you said, look, I want to earn an extra X dollars a year or X percent more than I did last year, um, but your highest value is spending time with your family and your children, your goals and your values might be in conflict if to achieve that goal, you have to spend less time at home or less time with your family. So having set your values first, then you can achieve the goals that you want that are in alignment with that. Great example is, and I've told you about this family before, but I don't remember the context, but it applies here as well. School teachers, and I used to do the, the whole circuit for the fairs with our pottery, and I would run into them at a lot of different fairs from the Egan to the Sullivan Arena on the, up and down the peninsula. And they were a wonderful little family whose value was spending time together. So in the summers rather, but they needed more money than their salaries would allow for. But rather than go take jobs that took them away from their children, they created an in-home business that started at the kitchen table and they made jewelry together. And so while the kids were probably too young to start to help, they grew into the business. And then when I met them, they were teenagers working in the business with mom and dad. Their values guided their goals and they were able to spend more time together. Health is another good one. Let's say you value health, but your goal is to weigh X you know, or lose so many pounds. Um, you can do that in an unhealthy way, or your values will guide your health, which would include, say, eating better, eating less, moving more, taking supplements, increasing your water take, you know, intake every day. Those kinds of things actually achieve your value of health versus a goal of losing 10 pounds or 15 pounds or whatever. And so I just think it's important to just align those two things, starting with your value, and then setting goals from there. For example, Michael, if you're in a politician, let's say for example, you're you're running for uh, US Senate. Okay. And your values are to tell the truth, no matter what. I will tell the truth, no matter what. But Mitch McConnell says, if you tell the truth about the candidate you wish to support publicly, I will pull your funding, I will pull your ranking, I will pull your whatever, your strings. And so you stay silent and you support the person that Mitch wants you to support. Well, what goal have you achieved versus the value that you said you went there with? Those two things better align or you're going to find a disparity by the end of your life. 
Yeah, you got to have an alignment. And basically, I think what you're saying, if I want to dumb it down for those of us in my cheap seats here, uh, basically, you have to have you have to let your values inform your goal making, because if they're if they're at odds with each other, then nothing's going to work because you're either going to have to violate your values or your goals are going to be you know, they're, they're just going to be wrongheaded. They're never going to be accomplished because you can't, because you're not violating your values at that point. In constant conflict. If your goals are in conflict with what you value, then yeah, you're going to live in conflict. Uh, Peter Thomas is a Canadian real estate mogul and businessman and developer. And, you know, he really, he teaches on this and he wrote a book on it called Be Great, essentially is about this concept. Um, Tony Robbins has spent a lot of time in his books and seminars and tapes over the years talking about letting vert your values be your compass. That what not just your values like I don't cheat on my wife, I don't steal, I don't murder. Those values, of course, those are your virtues that you set aside, and those are in stone. They're unchangeable, immutable. You're not going to move them. But what do you value? Do you value getting reelected over putting? the truth forward over um, doing what you know is right for the people you're purportedly representing. Those kinds of things can be in conflict and it could be even simpler than that. Just like we talked about health versus weight loss. It's, it's throw the scale out, get rid of the scale. Don't make weight your goal, make health your goal and follow the guidelines that will get you healthier as you, as you live your life. And, and so set a goal that aligns with actually being healthy wealth, same thing. You, if you just set a goal to, to earn a certain amount of money, there's a lot of ways to go about it that might con be in conflict with what you actually value. Like I mentioned, freedom, autonomy of your day. I value that. That's one of my highest values is the autonomy of my own time. I've been gainfully unemployed for coming up on 30 years, and I'm unemployable because I value my day, the right. freedom and autonomy that I get to set each day versus somebody saying you need to be here at 8 a.m. and it's all right, you get three opportunities, pal. You're not here by eight three times. Uh, you're in some real trouble. That don't work for me. So my value right. of my own autonomy is huge. And I'll put that above, um, you know, I mean, I, Michael, let's face it. I could be president of the United States right now, but I value my time with my family. Um, and I don't have a son old enough to really do any sort of consulting in, in Ukraine or China. And so we'll, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> wow. Some shade from the man from Homer. Uh, yeah. No, look, I mean, I agree. I mean, this is why I never, you know, why would you want to aspire to higher office when you look at, I mean, it's a lot of work to retain all that power and grease all them skids and do that kind of stuff. I'm with you. <clears throat> I am, uh, I have been uh, employed and self-employed both, and I am kind of unemployable in a lot of ways because I too value those kind of, that kind of freedom, that flexibility. It's a number one priority to me, even in some cases over, you know, big dollar money. Uh, because I would rather have that than be stuck in the grind. And I think that's kind of where it breaks back down to. We need to start looking and analyzing what are our core, what do we value? What is our, is our value? Not just, uh, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna lie. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do these things, right. et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, principle, principles right. and virtues are immutable. Yeah, I'm not suggesting exactly. that you reset those or recast those every year, but for example, if you think like we just talked about, you know, you and me putting 
you know, autonomy over our day and the idea of being self-employed and, and, and so forth is a high value. Some people put security there. Some people put security such that I, I, the value of security and knowing where the next paycheck is coming from is the highest value over right. even making more money over here potentially uh, as an independent business person. I'm, I'm going to put this value here and align it with my goals of, of staying employed. And that's just fine. Right. You have to decide for yourself. And that's your compass, not right. mine. It doesn't make you wrong. I mean, that's the thing. And I, I guess Correct. that, you know, just because Chris and I would value that freedom and flexibility and uh, and the mobility and the governor of our time doesn't make mean the fact that if you value that security of a guaranteed paycheck every month that it makes you wrong. It's just your values and your goals have to be built on that same on that template, not on our template. You couldn't build a, a goal based on my template or Chris's template or somebody else. You have to build your own based on what you prize the most. Exactly. And for example, going back to health, the actual goal of a certain weight that we wish to achieve is a byproduct of the value of health. And I, I love the expression that disappointment lives in the valley between expectation and reality. I think disappointment also lives in that valley between what you value and what you say your goals are. And then that conflict that, that we experience when those are at odds is, is truly where disappointment in your life or, or a feeling of not being content or sort of that angst that we can't really put a label on, but you can feel it and you just identify it like, man, what's missing or what's wrong? I think it'd be a really good time to just sit down and put on paper, what do you value? You can reevaluate your values if you want, but what is it that you value and are you aligning your goals as we continue the rest of this year and the second half of this year? Are those going to be in alignment or not? Because we could be having the same discussion come December 31st as we think about setting goals for the following year. What about those values? What do you value? And if it's a side hustle, like if you want to make more money or you want to start a side project, Make sure that you do not do it at the expense of what you value relative to your family, time, health, your overall mental health, all those things. Make sure that those are in alignment. You keep hitting on this whole health and weight thing. I'm feeling a little attacked today. I don't know exactly what's going on. You. And that's coming from myself, man. <laughs> I'm feeling, feeling a little attacked there. I've got a weight goal. Just, just leave me alone. It'll I think it's fun. universal. I yeah. think it's universal. So do I. And I just, yeah. the battery went out on our scale. And I'm like, you know what? Good. I'm actually glad because right. it's irrelevant because I've been, I'm chastising myself. Uh, for the last month or so of how I've been eating. I'm like, man, you know, it's not in alignment with what, what I really say I want for myself and so forth. So no, this is, this is a personal, Michael, very personal for me, not you. Well, and I think that's, uh, I mean, that's actually a good, um, that's a good goal to talk about because as you said, it's almost universal. Everybody has some kind Mm -hmm. of issue. I mean, unless you're a, you know, 20 K marathon triathlete or something and you feel good about it, but I'm sure those people beat themselves up for having a Twinkie every now and then or something, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a universal idea. What is your values? What do you want? Some people are like, well, I value the comfort and the joy of eating food with other people more than I value, being the exact ideal perfect weight. Okay, great. I mean, that's fine. It's all about decision, but that's something that I think all of us can understand for sure. Yeah, and because you know, not everybody wants to talk about money, and it's very personal. It was so is health, but we just went through three years of being told, you know, this is the way out 
of the pandemic, this is the way out. But truthfully, we know in our heart of hearts that being as healthy as possible, having the best immune system possible, really is the way out and the way forward and the way through any future pandemic that is going to be, you know, heading our way. So health is is universal. Wealth, I know that, that, um, that some people think, oh, you know, when you and I are talking, that you know, it's all, it's all about becoming a backyard millionaire and putting money ahead of everything else. And the truth of it is that to become wealthy, I think truly wealthy, the wealthiest people among us are happy with what they've got, where they are, just like acres of diamonds, you know, Russell Conwell's speech about the man who went to bed content and happy until he learned about what he didn't have and in far off lands where he could find diamonds and diamond mines. And, and he just, he felt poor, even though the night before the day before he was wealthy in his own mind and loved his life. And so I think that the truthfully health and wealth go hand in hand and uh, Buckminster Fuller put it very well when he said that our chief aim ought to be health, wealth, and prosperity, health being first, wealth being your income today, prosperity being your income going forward without working for it. When all those things can align under the umbrella of what you value, then each little independent goal will work itself out. You know, when you talk to a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs or you read their works, especially the self-made entrepreneurs, money is really just the tool that they get to use to fulfill whatever value or goal that they've got going on, whether it is more time with their family or being a difference in the world. They're not focused so much on the money, it seems like, in their writings and in their talks and what they're going on. They just are focusing on what the outcome is when they have that available as a tool more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the money is a byproduct of what you value aligning with your goals and setting goals and putting all this down on paper, I think, is key. Paper or digitally, however you want to do it. But I'd say pencil, paper, sit down, spend a few minutes with your favorite beverage and some classical music playing and really say to yourself, what do I value and where do I want to go? What are my goals? But first, what do I value? And then set goals from there. Even if you've already got your goals going for the year, go ahead and preempt with some value thinking and and make sure that they're in alignment. So at the end of the year, we can have another awesome conversation about, wow, what a, what a terrific year. I'm exactly where I wanted to be, or I'm further or behind where I expected to be, but I'm content and I'm following what I value. Chris Story, the man from Homer, he's written several books, including The Backyard Millionaire, which is available right now on Amazon or at his website, ilovehomeralaska.com. Uh, final tease on anything else, Chris. I want to hear what you have to say here as we get ready to wrap up. I would say also just, you know, and not to pitch my own book, but Born to Live is a book about where do you really want to go in life? It's short. People tell me they read it in a half, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And that's another one that I would pick up. It's super simple, but it's it's everything I know about sales, but also success in life, irrespective of how much money you make. All right. I love homeralaska.com is where you can go see mm-hmm. his uh, all his works including what well, you got the podcast now you've got the radio show Tuesdays and Thursdays on the peninsula and soon to be on stations across the country right that's the goal the backyard millionaire radio working with a syndicate out of uh, Chicago very excited about it nice nice well we hope to hear more from you 
and we hope to see you more out uh, on the uh, on the radio uh, uh, out there. I mean, seeing you on the radio seems kind of counterintuitive, but you know what I mean. I have the face for it. I know you do. You do have the face for it. All right, Chris Story, the man from Homer. He's too good to do video calls with us. I got to put this beautiful picture that he had photoshopped up here <laughs> to show people every morning. All right, my friend. Thank you for coming on board and joining us. Uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you next week. Don't go uh, don't go anywhere. Uh, all right, folks. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment. I will open the phone lines up, and you can get and I can get your thoughts on these vetoes and everything else, or what Chris talked about, or whatever. It's going to be good. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also, some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, let's see if Chris actually stuck around with us here just one last time. Anything else, my friend? Are you there? Yes, good morning, Michael. No, all all good. I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope you get Sarah Vance on because this is, yeah, like I say, this is the first time learning about the uh, the cuts to the peninsula. But also, who said that uh, maybe it's a, a, a feud, a blood feud between Michiki and Dunleavy? But, I mean, that makes no sense. That- I mean, come on. That makes no sense. Um uh, yeah, I just, I just, can't, yeah. I just can't see that that kind of personal feud was. Oh, I don't, I don't like Machiki. He's now the mayor, so I'm going to penalize the whole peninsula for. I mean that. I'm sorry, I can't make, I can't make that math work out in my head. I mean, can you? I mean, what about, I, what about Dave? Um, is it Dave Steering? Is that is he still his spokesperson? Dave Steering is his community. He's not a press guy. He is his no. community outreach manager or something like that. Well, I mean, maybe maybe he would come on your show. I know be, during the election, Dave offered himself up on my program, and I, I didn't take advantage of it because we're just not so politically oriented. But maybe Dave will offer himself up to stand in for the man that's standing tall for Alaska and answer some of these questions or at least provide some um, explanation or context for the decisions made. Right. If you can't get the actual tall man, yeah. you can get the, uh, well, the other guy. I can't figure out what a guy who's standing tall for Alaska needs to stand in. I couldn't figure that part out. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while. I just can't, I can't figure out why he won't engage the public. You know, even if it wasn't a press conference, even if it wasn't a radio interview, I mean, just Facebook Live. He did that for a while. It was like a period of six months or something where he would come on every couple of weeks and he'd have a little Facebook Live with people or whatever. And and I thought that was great because it bypassed all the hostile press and everything else. But now that's I mean, that that didn't last very long. And I'm just wondering. I think it would why. be a fun thought experiment, a great thought experiment for you to lead. What if. Ron DeSantis was governor of Alaska. What would just taking the the matrix with which he makes decisions and applying it to Alaska issues? What what do you think Alaska could and would look like? And then yeah. what would it take to actually get somebody like Ron DeSantis to actually run for governor? Yeah, I think that with Dunleavy, you have a career politician, somebody who wants to be. I don't know. I mean, look at Mark Begich when we ousted him. He right. stayed in Washington D.C. The reason he gave was 
his son, he didn't want to take his son out of the school system. And what? I'm sorry, what? Your son was in the school system in Washington, D.C.? Um, in addition to that, he picked up a $600,000 a year contract as a consultant right. for some consultancy. Uh, on what? Yeah. What were you, what well, exactly we what were you is. consulting? Exactly. What were you exactly consulting? So on? where is Dunleavy headed yeah. after this, this term? And, um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's, I can feel your frustration. Um, but I would think maybe Dave would be a sympathetic, uh, stand in potentially simply for the fact that he would want to get on your show, uh, even if Dunleavy won't. Well, I'm sure Dave would love to be back on the air doing things again. And he's always, it's always a fun discussion, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I know it's, you know, I'm good. Yeah. You know, that's an exercise in frustration because that's going to be more just talking points than any real answers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I yeah. mean, he, he gives the, he gives the, the reasons, but maybe not the rationale behind it in a deeper way. So it's uh it's pretty frustrating but i mean you folks down on the peninsula should probably be a little agitated about this i don't know if if he supposedly is trying to uh cuz there's a lot of discussion and speculation as to whether or not the governor is getting ready for a run for the senate the us senate but uh i mean i don't know i don't i don't know at this point what mm-hmm. what's going to happen but all right well <clears throat> i appreciate it my friend thank you for being part of it um uh, as always it's a pleasure it's a real pleasure i i value this time michael yeah i i do too i mean i need it because by, i tell you by the end of the the last couple segments and today i mean i'm feeling just a little bit dauber down but you know my value <laughs> is to not focus so much on this kind of stuff i value more my i value my sanity and so i have to kind of divorce myself from some of the frustration and realize that i can only do what i can do i mean that's the whole irish right. serenity prayer right to change the things i can and, to, and the things i can't and the wisdom to know the difference i can be the lighthouse i can be the the town crier but if nobody shows up i still did my job you know what i mean i can't what if you set yourself on fire if i set myself on fire you know that's a very short-lived i mean i would be warm for a bit and then that's kind we'll of talk about you short. for a long time exactly that's well i mean true. till next week until next week until the next thing until the kardashians hit the news again and then you that's won't be right. talking exactly. about me exactly exactly all right remember the town crier that set himself on fire yeah remember okay, that Michael, guy take care. see you bud thanks for calling in appreciate it um all right the Michael Duke. That ship is sailed. What is that? What is that? What does that mean? What does that mean? It's a double rainbow. What does that mean? I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's light up the phone lines, I guess, shall we? Let's get things rolling on here. I got about 15 seconds. See if we can get the phone lines up and be ready to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Here we go. Thanks for calling the call-in line of the Michael Duke Show. Okay. Well, we're ready to go here. We got uh, phone lines open. 
and we are ready, willing, and able to take some phone calls from you. I mean, I could just basically bloviate for the next 10 minutes about I don't understand how they did something, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, somebody just sent me a text about the board of game. Um, well, that's a novel. I'll have to come back to that later. Uh, so we'd love to hear what you have to say on, uh, you know, your thoughts on the general state of the state. On what we were just talking about with the governor's vetoes of only vetoing the areas for people who seem to have voted against the budget. Um, although Kathy Tilton voted against the budget and I didn't see any vetoes in her district. I, I just don't know. I'm trying to figure out why. Why the penalty for people like Julie Colum, who said that people were being bought, for people like Justin Ruffridge, who said people were being bought with those projects and everything else. Uh, I mean, if you're down in the peninsula right now, how do you feel about that? Um, is it par for the course? Are you heavy sigh resigned to it? Or are you agitated by what's going on? I mean, I I gotta know. I gotta. I, I'm interested to see what you have to say to that. Or do you want to instead talk about what Chris was just talking about and goals and virtues and values and all that kind of stuff? Whatever it is, nine zero seven four three three thirty one fifty nine zero seven four three 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 one five zero. I will tell you one thing: that politics has invaded every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives has been invaded by politics. And, of course, we've seen this play out more and more as companies become politicized. I mean, companies that traditionally would just be like, I just want to sell my product. I don't want to get in, you know, I, although we know that on the left, many millennials and stuff prioritize companies that support their values, you know, publicly. But we also know that that's problematic in many ways. Now, there's an interesting uh, poll that just came out from the Trafalgar Group. And must read is writing about it. Um, and we've seen some prime examples of some of the things that are going on right now. The Bud Light thing and the uh, and the uh, Target situation with Pride Month and all this kind of stuff. We've seen some backlash on some of this. Anyway, this poll came out. And here was the question that the Trafalgar pollsters asked the people that they polled. They said, with the public backlash against companies like Bud Light and Target, do you believe business should continue to promote political themes during Pride Month, or should businesses seek to be neutral on cultural issues? <clears throat> now, I don't drink Bud Light, and uh, I didn't drink Bud Light before because, wow. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I who's got time for that, right? But at the same time, from a, from a rational, just kind of a purist perspective, I personally would just like companies not to take a stand on anything because if I like your product and I want to buy your product, I don't want to have to be conflicted over whether you support my political viewpoint, yada, yada, yada. Right. I just, I, I just, it's not, it's that, that political thing should be. Here's what the poll says though. <clears throat> Nearly 41% of Americans boycotted a company taking a public progressive or woke stance. On the other side, 24% of Americans have boycotted a company for taking a conservative stance. Um, overall, people said that companies should be less political. 
Of those who were declared Republicans of the poll, 68% had boycotted a company for being woke. 26% of Republicans said they didn't take part in such boycotts. Of those who were Democrats, 15% had boycotted companies that were publicly woke, but 45% boycotted companies that were conservatives and espoused American values like Make America Great Again, yada, yada, yada. But the biggest things is that Republicans said 82% of Republicans said companies should stay out of the political realm. While 48% of Democrats said that companies should continue to promote political themes. So still nearly half of Democrats basically said, just stay out. And and 82% of Republicans said, stay out of politics in your business. This, I mean, again, it's another reason why we're just throwing our hands up in the air because it's invading every aspect of our lives. And even the even half the Democrats are like, no, don't do that. Just stay out of politics and just make your product and sell it to us and go on from there. That's that's an interesting that is an interesting stat right now. This is out of the Trafalgar group. It's crazy stuff. All right, let's uh, let's go over here to take some phone calls. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, this is Joe Verhagen up in Nenana, Alaska. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind? Um, sounds like I'm kind of echoing. I don't know how to change that. Just go ahead, Joe. Am I on speakerphone, maybe? Or No, Joe, go ahead. Just to... Okay, is that any better? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead, Joe. That's... Okay. Um, so... I hear, I listen to talk radio all the time. I hear people uh, talking about, um, you know, we shouldn't let the mainstream media control the narrative and what we're talking about all the time. And I totally agree. And um, as frustrating and as hypocritical as this whole thing is with uh, Trump's documents and, uh, you know, you could bring up Hillary Clinton's documents and the Biden family and all these other things. Uh, they're still controlling the narrative when that's all they're talking about. We have like 12 candidates and none of them are getting any coverage from the media besides Trump's, uh, you know, uh, legal woes. And I just feel like that's them pushing a narrative because in my mind, I feel like we're we're going to run a dead horse again if we nominate Trump. He's going to lose again to Biden, is my personal opinion. And uh, if it was rigged the first time, how the heck is it not going to be rigged the second time uh, if Biden's in control and nothing's really changed, you know? And so that's why I feel like it's running a dead horse. And so these other candidates, um, especially like Ron DeSantis, who consistently shows in polls that he can beat um, Biden and that he polls way better amongst almost every demographic. Why are, you know, we letting the media just control the narrative and not talking about these other candidates that, that really do have a chance? So that's one of the things that's just been frustrating is everything is Trump, Biden, Trump, Biden, Trump, Biden. Right. Well, first and foremost, don't think that that's a bug. That's working as intended. That's a feature. They know that if they highlight the one candidate that has lesser of a chance of winning, why would they Why would they want to highlight the they being the news media with a more progressive agenda? Why would they want to highlight the candidates um, 
you know, why would they want to beat the why would they want to highlight a candidate like DeSantis uh, and give them an opportunity to beat Biden? Because at this point, you basically get the again, the lesser of two evils argument of Biden versus Trump. And neither, nobody's happy with either one of those yep. candidates. Right. I mean, in the in the long run, even Biden's people are like the Democrats yeah. don't want Biden to go back, but he's the logical choice. So it's working as intended, Joe. Yeah. That's the whole thing. That That's what it is. So we still have to talk about those candidates on our own, but don't look to the mainstream media to pull that off. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I also see it in uh, a little bit on talk radio, too. You know, some of them are just getting wrapped right into it as well. It seems. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't care less about what's going on with uh, Trump. And I mean, mostly national politics, because I don't cover that here. But I wouldn't if I was covering national politics, I would not be talking about the documents and all the other. I mean, that would just be I would be talking about alternative candidates because I think that that's better for America in the long run, personally, personally. Thank you, Joe, for your call. I appreciate it. We are out of time, folks. Tomorrow's another day. We'll have Dr. Roland on from Chase Medical to talk about emergency medicine tomorrow. Have a good day. Okay, um, we're out of time for today. Uh, Frank asked about my board of game text. I haven't read the whole thing, Frank, because quite honestly, it was... It was a novel length text. It was huge. So I haven't had a chance to uh, I haven't had a chance to get into it and uh, take a look at it. But I will read into it and we'll see if we can come up with some answers. Hopefully tomorrow we will have uh, some of the tomorrow and Thursday we'll have some of the legislators on to talk about stuff like uh, this, the vetoes and what's happening in their district. And we'll see what that uh, what that means. All right, my friends, we are out of time. Be kind, love one another, live well. We will see you tomorrow. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.